Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, president of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We want to thank you for listening to this chapel message. Our mission at Southeastern is to seek to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by equipping students to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. We hope that you enjoy this chapel message and that you will visit our website. It's www.sebts.edu. There you can learn more about our school and what the Lord is doing here. We hope you enjoy the message. Thank you for being a part of what we're doing here. It is an honor to welcome you today to this uh, graduation in May of 2019. I especially extend my congratulations to the students. We are very proud of you and uh, you deserve a job well done. Very thankful that all of you have gathered here today to honor them, but most of all, we are gathered here to honor the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I uh, love athletics. I am a huge, huge sports fan, grew up in Atlanta, Georgia. So I grew up being an Atlanta Braves fan, Atlanta Falcons fan, uh, Atlanta Hawks fan, a Georgia Bulldog fan. Very painful experiences, I must confess, given our uh, lack of winning championships. I, I like some of you, uh, suffered through the agony of 14 consecutive Eastern Division titles of the Braves, only to see one World Series. I. Uh, I actually got to the point where I could not watch the games anymore. I just could not go through the trauma of it. And my uh, counselor said, you'll have to go on drugs if you keep doing this. And so I just finally had to pull back. But I also delight in the fact that when you come to the Bible, uh, God's Holy Spirit moved the authors of scriptures many times to use images from the world of athletics to teach us about life. And in particular, the Christian life and ministry. For example, Paul says that the Christian life can be compared to a boxing match. Uh, Yes, sometimes we're on the delivering end and we're delivering big blows and pushing back the darkness of Satan's kingdom, but sometimes uh, we're on the receiving end. Paul even goes on to say that sometimes we get uh, knocked down, but never knocked out because we have a savior that keeps picking us back up and putting us back into the ring. Paul also says that the Christian life can be compared to wrestling. He's very clear that in Ephesians chapter 6, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Our enemies are never uh, fellow human beings. Ultimately, our enemies are Satan, uh, his demons, and the forces of evil. But it's a struggle. It's a wrestling match. Think about takes place in the Olympics Well, in a matter of three rounds and three minutes each, a, an athlete is almost completely drained uh, of his energy because of how taxing and how demanding it is. And that is another good, accurate picture of the Christian life. But a number of times in the Bible and in the text that I will direct us to this morning found in Hebrews chapter 12, the Bible says that the Christian life can be compared to a race. Now, very interestingly, almost every time the Bible uses the imagery of the race, it does not talk about a sprinter's race. No, it talks about a long distance race. If we were thinking today, we might even use the word the marathon, a 26 mile, 385 yard race. And though the marathon was not in view when the author of Hebrews penned these words, it certainly captures for us the idea of the kind of race he was talking about. So listen to what the Bible says here in Hebrews chapter 12, verses one through three. Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And here's the key. 
let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now, how do we do that? Looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured his own race, which took him to the cross. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him. Meditate upon him. Think about him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. From these verses, I just want to share very quickly several ideas that I hope will accompany you along the way as you run well the race that God has mapped out for you. Number one, I believe the Bible says you should be encouraged as you run. He says, we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. I don't think he's talking about people in heaven looking down and watching, but I think he is saying, look back to chapter 11. There you see the names of men and women. They've run the race, they've crossed the finish line, and they are there as a wonderful source of encouragement to you and to me to stay in the race. Uh, you all know that I love missionary biographies. Why? Because again, I get to read the records of men and women who've already run their race, they've already crossed the finish line, and they encourage me to stay in the race. The cool thing about most of them is they were very normal people like you and me, but they almost all had an extraordinary confidence and faith in our God. I came here to be president of Southeastern Seminary in January of the year 20, uh, 2004, so I've been here now a little over 15 years. I had not been here very long when one day I received a phone call exactly on March the 15th to inform me that a number of wonderful missionaries with our International Mission Board had been brutally murdered in Iraq. Larry and Jean Elliott, Karen Watson, David McDonald, the only one to survive was David's wife, Carrie, uh, and her body required almost 20 surgeries following her, uh, being, her body being riddled with bullets uh, on that particular day. Well, a couple of things are very personal to me. First of all, Larry and Jean Elliott are graduates of Southeastern Seminary. Secondly, we attended the same church as their son, not very far from here. So when I received word that Larry and Jean had been killed, I called Scott Elliott, their son, just to express to him our condolences and our prayers. And I asked him, I said, Scott, how are you and your family doing? And he said, well, Dr. Aiken, we're doing okay. We're, we're crying a lot, but we're rejoicing because we know mom and dad are now with Jesus. And that's what they've always longed for. And then he said, uh, something happened that I think you would find interesting. He said, I received an email from a man that says that he is an atheist. And he wrote me to express his condolences. And I, I would say to you, he was very kind in what he said. But at the very end of his email, he said this to me, isn't it a shame that your mom and dad died for no good reason? Now he said, I did not get angry with him. He's an atheist. He doesn't believe even in God, much less our Lord. But I did write him back. 
And I did thank him for taking the time to write and to express his condolences. But then I said at the end of my email, but you were wrong about one thing. My mom and dad did not die for no good reason. And then he said, I wrote this, Dr. Aiken. I said to him, my mom and dad had such a great confidence in God's will for their lives that had they known in advance that going to Iraq would have meant their death, they would have still gone anyway. And graduates, time and time again, I've asked myself the question, do I trust our Lord that much? Do you? Do you trust him so much that no matter where he takes you and no matter what you may experience, you will trust him every step of the way as you run the race that he has mapped out for you. We should be encouraged as we run our own race. Secondly, we should focus on some essentials as we run this race. And there are three of them that I'll just note very quickly in verse one. He says, therefore, we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. So number one, lay aside every weight. Get rid of any excess baggage in your life that would weigh you down and slow you down and keep you from running your best for Jesus. Secondly, he says, let us run the race and lay aside the sin which clings so closely. And I believe because of the context, he's talking about the sin of unbelief, even a sin that a believer can be guilty of. And then he says, thirdly, and let us run with endurance, with patience, with steadfastness, the race that is set before us. I used to be a runner. In fact, when I was a student in seminary like uh, you all, I ran in the White Rock Marathon in Dallas, Texas uh, in 1980, just before uh, our twin boys were born. And uh, it was a grueling, brutal experience, but I did finish and got in under four hours. And so I, to this day, am pretty happy about that. But I continued to run over the next several years. And one day I came home from the church that I was serving and I went upstairs to my, uh, to my bedroom and I was gonna go out and run. So I took off my suit. I had to wear a suit back then. Praise God, I got over that. But anyway, I, I took off my suit and uh, I was putting on my, my running clothes, which meant a uh, uh, very uh, thin T-shirt, uh, my New Balance running shoes and my nice frilly uh, nylon running shorts. And my youngest son, Timothy, uh, who at that time was about four years old, had come into the bedroom and he was just watching me. I mean, he was eyeballing me like a little hawk. And, and so he noticed that I took off all of my clothes and that I had put on my running shorts, but I had not put on or put back on my, my underwear. And so he was fascinated and he said, Daddy, how come you took off your underwear and you didn't put any back on? And so I began to think and I said, well, son, um, um, running shorts are like swimming trunks and they have underwear inside of them. And he said to me, well, I'd like to see. <laughs> so I took them off and I handed them to him and he examined them for a few moments and then uh, gave them back to me. And uh, he said, um, I don't see any underwear in there, daddy. <laughs> And I did what dads often do. I said, well, sweetheart, take daddy's word for it. There's underwear in there. Now you go play. I, I need to get finished and go out and run. Well, those of you that are here this morning who are parents, uh, you learned over the years and are learning now uh, a lesson that my wife Charlotte and I learned, and that is this. Our children uh, many times pay no attention to what we say. 
but they always pay attention to what we do. So about two weeks later on a Sunday morning, we were getting ready to go to church. And my wife, Charlotte, uh, being the wonderful mother that she was, got our son Timothy dressed first and then she moved to Paul and Nathan and Jonathan. And, and without saying a word to us, Timothy left and went upstairs to his bedroom and he slid off his shoes. He took off his pants. He took off his underwear, put his pants back on, put his shoes back on, came downstairs, never said a word to us about anything that had transpired upstairs and, and we went to church. And um, later, I, I would learn to my eternal embarrassment that shortly after dropping him off in his preschool room of four-year-olds, Miss Terry, who loved him like a mother, came over and she gave him a big old hug. And, she then unleashed him and said, well, Timothy, sweetheart, how are you doing today? And he looked up at her with a big old grin and he said, I'm just fine, Miss Terry. I don't have any underwear on. <laughs> My daddy doesn't wear underwear and I don't wear underwear either. Well, let me... Uh, say a couple of things very quickly. Number one, I do have my underwear on today. Uh, number two, you have to accept it by faith and not by sight. Now you might think, well, I bet big boy, when you go out and run now, you uh, wear your underwear. Um, no. If I were to go out and run a 5K race, that's 3.1 miles. A 10K race, that's uh, 6.2 miles. A half marathon, that's 13.1 miles. A marathon, that's 26 miles, 385 yards. No, I'm going to go out and run as lightly and as cleanly as I possibly can because I don't need any excess baggage that would slow me down and keep me from running my very best. The lesson is so clear. And I wanna challenge you as you run this race to which God has called you, always be on guard against stuff, junk, excess baggage getting into your life. And hear me and hear me well, sometimes excess baggage is not bad things. Sometimes excess baggage is good things that get in the way of the best things. There are a lot of wonderful Baptist churches that many of us are a part of. And you know what I've learned over the years? Most evangelical churches do not do bad things. They don't do bad things. But they get so busy doing so many, 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 many good things, they can begin to neglect the best and most important things. And the same thing is true in your personal life as well. So you focus on the essentials as you run. Run in faith, get rid of excess baggage, and realize God has not called me to a sprinter's race. God has called me to a marathon. But then number three, the Bible also says as we run this race, we should follow the example. And it's just like the Bible, isn't it? It doesn't give us any example, but it gives us the best example of all, the example of the Lord Jesus. And just listen to what the author of Hebrews wrote, and I'll close. Looking to Jesus, that word means to gaze at. You lock on so that it's almost like you've got blinders on and you don't see what's to the left or the right. You, 
You just have your focus and your heart and your attention on Jesus. Now, why should we give him that kind of loyalty and that kind of devotion? Well, he tells you. He is the author and finisher of your faith. He got you in the race, and he'll get you to the finish line. And how do we know that he is trustworthy? He tells us. Who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross? God's son ran in a race. And his race took him to a cross. And you know, there's an amazing phrase there. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Do you all understand this morning that Jesus found joy in dying on the cross at Calvary? You say, how in the world could he find joy in going through that torture and that mutilation and being so brutalized. I'll tell you exactly how he found joy. Number one, he knew it was the will of his father and he delighted in obeying and honoring his father. And number two, hear me now, he loved you. He loved you and he loves you so much. He found joy in dying on that cross and bearing in his body the full weight of the sins of the world. So the Bible says, as you run this race, consider him, meditate on him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself so that you never grow weary or faint hearted so that you don't become discouraged and drop out of the race. Let me close my remarks in your direction. Some of you are here today and you're not a Christian. You've never put your faith and trust in Christ. First of all, I want you to know how honored we are to have you here today and thank you for coming. I know you're here because you love a graduate and you're super proud of them and want to be a part of this wonderful day of celebration. So we're so glad you're here. Secondly, I know that there's some of you here today and possibly the reason that you're not a Christian is that you got hurt one time by a Christian. You got bruised one time by a church. People that you thought would treat you well treated you badly. And people that you thought would love you treated you in an ugly fashion. And I want to say something to you. Hear my heart. I want to apologize. I am so very, very sorry if you've ever had an experience in your life where a Christian or a church treated you in an ugly manner. Because I want you to know something. Jesus never would. Jesus never would. He loves you. He died for you. And he wants to have a relationship with you. If you want to see what authentic Christianity looks like, fix your eyes on Jesus. Because I can promise you this, he will never, ever, ever disappoint you. I want us to bow our head and close our eyes for just a moment. This morning, if you are here and you are not a Christian, a follower of Jesus, I want to give you right now the opportunity to make what I know and believe is the greatest and most important decision a person can ever make in their entire life, and that is to put your faith and trust in our Lord. I want you to know something. Yesterday, all these graduates joined me in praying for you. And all these graduates along with me, with one heart, would say to you today, you know what? 
I would gladly leave my diploma up here on this table and leave it and never touch it again if my dad or my mom, my brother, my sister, my aunt, my uncle, my friend were to come to Jesus. Nothing would make this graduation day more of a celebration than if this person I love so much gave their life to Jesus. So I'm going to do something that Billy Graham did many, many times in his crusades around the world. I'm going to lead in what I call and what many call the sinner's prayer. Now hear me and hear me well. The words are not magical. The issue is your heart. But I can promise you this. If you pray this prayer today from a sincere and genuine heart, I can promise you this. God will hear your prayer and God will save you. So if you want to give your life to Christ today, then as I pray these words, just repeat them in your heart to the Lord. Dear Lord Jesus, I thank you that you love me. And I know that you love me because you died on the cross to forgive all of my sins. I know that I am a sinner and I know that I need to be saved. I turn from my sin and in faith and trust, I turn to you. Forgive me of my sin. Come into my life to be my Savior and my Lord. Put me today in the race. And I will trust you to run every step of the way with me until that day when I am with you forever and ever and ever. And Lord Jesus, I know that anyone praying that prayer in faith, you have heard their prayer and you have answered their prayer and you have saved them. And Lord, I rejoice in the reality that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And Father, if there is a person who just prayed that prayer and received you as their Lord and Savior when our service is over in just a very short time, Lord, may they find this graduate that they came today to celebrate with. May they give them a big hug and tell them, I am so proud of you, congratulations, but can I tell you what happened in the service when, when, when Danny prayed that prayer? I prayed it with him. And I want you to know that I have now become a child of God through trusting in Jesus. And Lord, I know that the smile on the face of that graduate will so supersede anything that could be there because of receiving of a diploma. And so, Lord, we love you because you loved us. We thank you that you put us in a race and you also promised to run with us every step of the way. Lord, for these graduates, I simply pray this. Help them to continue to run well. And dear Lord, help them to finish well, all for your great glory. And this we ask and pray in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you again for listening to this chapel message from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. If you are thinking about theological education on the undergraduate or graduate level, including doctoral studies, we hope that you consider us. If you also find these chapel messages encouraging and a blessing to your walk with Christ, we hope that you will consider financially supporting Southeastern. 
Our graduates are literally serving the kingdom across this globe, working to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. Your gifts will help to train more, and they will serve as a worthwhile investment in God's kingdom. You can find more information about attending Southeastern or supporting us financially at www.sebts.edu. We cover your prayers and trust that God will bless every good work you do for His glory. Thank you for joining us in our chapel services.